Hello and welcome to the debut episode of the Interim Champion Boxing Podcast with Raskin and Mulvaney. Along with my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kira Mulvaney and thank you so much for joining us on this hopefully interim step in our pugilistic podcasting journey. Uh, it's a new podcast for a new year and we are so excited about it that yeah. Eric even raced all the way back from Italy to be a part of it. So Eric, ciao, bentornato. Grazie, grazie. Uh, I don't know what you said after ciao. I assume you was that some welcome kind home. of like, oh, welcome home. Okay, thank you. Uh, grazie. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So I did say the right thing. How about it? Um, I, yeah, it was uh, quite, quite a trip. I did indeed race home specifically to podcast and to talk to you. Um, I could bore you with details about seeing the Sistine Chapel or the David or the Coliseum or going on a gondola ride, etc. But uh, let, let, let's cut to the chase here, Karen. I'm going to give you and the listeners the post-vacation information that everyone craves. Yeah, yeah, Italy was grand, blah, blah, blah. Here's the big news. I am not lactose intolerant in Italy. And and thank God, because I don't know what the hell I would eat there otherwise. Uh, but so a, a couple of months ago, I was talking to someone about our trip and about my dietary limitations. And this person said she is also lactose intolerant. But when she was in Italy a few years ago, it was a non-issue. Uh, the dairy there is processed differently or not processed at all. I don't know. But she gave me hope that, uh, you know, uh, you may just be able to eat all the cheeses without issue. And she was right. Uh, now, I, I took some lactate pills just in case, even though those tend not to help me. Took a few, got through the first couple of meals okay, and then I started raw-dogging it. No lactate pills. Dude. And uh, the whole trip, I had one meal that put some knots in my stomach and left me uh, crop-dusting a bit on the walk home. But uh, but all the other meals, no issues. Um, I hate America, Kieran. I really do. We yeah. suck. I absolutely love Italy. There was a period where I was spending a lot of time there, um, particularly in this little village in Umbria. And um, what always has blown me away about it is you could go to the smallest little hole-in-the-wall dive and the food is unreal. Uh, Six ingredients, maybe, and it's fantastic. And the other thing that I found is... Back when I drank, which I did copiously during my times in Italy, uh, I also found that red wine didn't give me headaches uh, huh? the next day there, too. And again, something to do with, you know, the the fact that it's not necessarily organic per se, but with far fewer additives, I think. And just the quality of life, the, the, the enjoyment of food and just the general mm. pace of life and everything. It's just, yeah, I do love me some Italy, I've got to say. Yeah, I, I even uh, made my own food uh, one time. We took a cooking class, so I learned how to make pasta. Oh, cool. And, and now I'm like actually motivated to make my own uh, fettuccine now. Uh, may, may give that a try at home soon. But uh, um, I also probably shouldn't admit this uh, publicly, but uh, my kids sampled a bit of wine as well. Um, they, they, nobody seems to care in Italy if, if they're no. underage, if, if the parents let them out. So, I mean, when I say sample, I mean took like a little tiny sip and uh, the the verdict is white wine, decent. Red wine tastes like feet. Is uh, is basically the reaction that I got from uh, from my kids, whose palates are not so well developed. Let's just say, but uh, but no, it it was an amazing trip. You may have seen some of the photos on Facebook. Just a a wonderful family adventure. I'm really glad we did it. Um, not the biggest fan of Venice. I'm uh, I'm I'm glad that I experienced it once. Um, you know, but 
I feel kind of claustrophobic there. Uh, mm. You just feel so trapped and waterlocked and the alleyways are about three feet wide. So um, don't need to go back there. But Rome, astonishing. Florence, lovely. Amazing trip. And uh, and now I'm broke. So uh, please, everyone pay for an ICBP sub. Um, but uh, <laughs> but but now let's get to let's get to the topic that pe- people really want an update on. How are the kittens and do they have names yet? And if not, I'm, I'm now pushing ricotta and burrata. <laughs> they do not yet have names. We are still waiting for their personalities fully to emerge. We're like trying on various names and seeing and seeing if they, they fit or not. And we'll try them for a couple of days. And we'll be like, mm, it's we're forcing it. We'll just mm. we'll just let it happen. Um, but my goodness, they're adorable. And uh, yeah, actually, from day to day, they grow, each go a little bit more of a their own personality. Uh, I'm so glad we got to. And I'm so mm. glad, you know, that they're sisters because they keep each other active and occupied all day. Basically, you just hear this of kitten chasing kitten all over the floor. <laughs> right. And then they curl up together when they sleep. And Honestly, at times, I think they just see Sarah Jean and I as food providing electric blankets. And that's fine. <laughs> that's that's how I've always thought of you anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, uh, no, it's been great. It's, it's lovely to, to have them around. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hoot. It really is a hoot. OK, uh, eventually they will have names. Uh, I think I they think I've eventually. I think I've told you the, the, the story of how my wife uh, wife's family knows somebody, two twins who are named Boya and Boib because it said Boye and Boy B, and they decided to stick with it. So if you want to go with Kata and Katba, that, that's also amazing. an option. That is amazing. Wow. Uh, I was going to ask Elon Musk for advice. He's very good at name. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, and then each one would probably be named a fraction or something. Right. All right, you've definitely identified the worst option. Even worse than Kata and Katba is to ask Elon Musk what he thinks. Yeah, at some point, his child's going to realize what he named him, and he's going to like hate him. I think probably, but everybody else hates him already. So right. what the hell? Anyway, the maybe yes, maybe we should talk some boxing, shall we? We're I guess deep into this interim podcast, and yeah, we haven't actually barely mentioned the word. So, um, on this mini episode to kick off the year, um, at the end of the pod. Eric will test me with the first ICBP edition of the fight game. Uh, But until then, this is devoted to catching up on everything we've missed since recording our final episode of the Showtime pod. Of course, the biggest thing we missed was the Marathon Day of Reckoning pay-per-view on December 23rd, which uh, it's safe to say that it just didn't go exactly as organizers had hoped, Eric. Yeah, specifically Deontay Wilder's fight against Joseph Parker did not follow the script. Uh, the plan was for Anthony Joshua to fight Wilder in March. AJ did his part, blowing out Otto Valine in five rounds, but Wilder got completely outboxed by Parker. A few things for us to discuss here, Kieran. Is Wilder done? Is AJ all the way back? How disappointed are you that it appears they overmarinated AJ versus Wilder? Give me any thoughts you have on these two main events. Well, Wilder certainly looked terrible. I mean, he looked at least as bad as he did in the Luis Ortiz rematch when he did nothing for seven rounds and then uncorked a monster right hand. This time he just did nothing for, what is it, 10 or 12 rounds, and Parker didn't let him land that monster right hand. Um, But look, when we previewed this, we pointed out that Wilder is vulnerable to big men with good jabs, and Parker's a big man with a good jab. And the key, of course, in hindsight, is that 
Undertaker has sparred a lot with Tyson Fury. He's good friends with Tyson Fury. Andy Lee, his trainer, is part of Team Fury. Nobody knows more about fighting Deontay Wilder than Tyson Fury does. Um, plus, I thought that Andy had an excellent game plan that Parker delivered on. I really liked how calm Andy was in the corner there with him, that the two were just, just had it going on. Uh, it was just a really, really good evening for them. So I don't know that the fight showed us much we didn't already know in that we already knew that Wild is a terrible boxer for an elite fighter right. and that he can be undressed against a decent boxer who can avoid being hit. It doesn't mean he's done based on what happened in that fight. But his demeanor afterwards suggested to me that he might be on the verge of being done. Um, not least because it seems that he's found a contentment in his life that I think has perhaps been absent and which is great for him as a human being. Um, but I, I just kind of wonder if he still has that same burning desire. He is 38. We forget mm -hmm. that. Um, there comes a time where you just don't necessarily want to get hit in the head anymore. Uh, I doubt it will be his last outing. As long as he does hit like a mule, he's always dangerous. But I think it's fair to say he's, he's on the back nine uh, now for sure. Um, I was far more surprised by AJ's performance. Um, it was a controlled of confident aggression that we haven't seen for a long time, I, I thought, from him. I thought his punches flowed really nicely. It's a good mixture of jabs and power punches. His last few fights, he's been so jab-heavy. He's almost forgotten that he had this really good right hand behind it. He didn't seem to be overthinking in there. It just felt natural. It looked like not an old AJ, but the old AJ. <laughs> um, and, and he just absolutely crestfell in, which which nobody's been able to do does suggest that there's a very much a third act to the Anthony Joshua story, and maybe he'd be favoured now against anyone not called Fury or Usyk for quite some time. I have thought, as I think you have, that even as negatively as we felt about Deontay Wilder as a boxer, I thought Wilder would just knock him out. Right. Um, I, based on those parallel displays that we saw on December 23rd, I'm no longer quite so sure about that. Um, yeah, it's a shame we probably won't see Wilder AJ, but Them's the breaks. I'm not sure in this instance how much of it was over marination and how much of it was just life getting in the way. You know, Andy Ruiz knocked out AJ. AJ had to go and sort that out. Wilder had his three fight series with Tyson Fury. It just didn't match up. Um, and I don't think there was anything wrong with having them fight different opponents on December 23rd to set up a fight between the two of them because we'd only seen one round of Deontay Wilder since losing to Tyson Fury. AJ hadn't looked good. Maybe it wouldn't have sold that well had they both won impressively. Had Deontay been half as good as AJ was, it would have set up the fight really well. I, I just think them's the breaks. Uh, I, I think this was just the case of two very good fighters losing to other very good fighters along the way. Nah, it happens. Yeah, so you did indeed say uh, last time that Wilder is vulnerable to a guy with a good jab and and you it, it sounds like you I guess ne not necessarily saw that coming but at least we're not shocked by it whereas I don't know I I could not have been more wrong about Wilder Parker and on both of the ends of the equation I was pretty sure Parker's best days were behind him and that he was making the slow slide into obscurity since getting stopped by Joe Joyce and Wilder I mean, it all seems so obvious now. Um, you know, he'd fought one round in 26 months and, and the two fights prior to that were, were brutal 
career shortening type fights against Tyson Fury. And uh, and makes me think, you know, time will tell if Fury's struggle with Nganu was a fluke. But it's possible that we will decide in the end that Fury Wilder 3, one of the greatest heavyweight title fights of all time, had some Ali Frazier 3 to it that neither guy was ever the same after that. Um, but, but anyway, it's so easy now to see why Wilder would have dropped off a cliff heading into this fight. But it just somehow it just hadn't crossed my mind at all coming into this. Um, so I'm actually like thinking that maybe it's, it's a massive shame for AJ that they didn't go straight into him against Wilder on December 23rd. He could have been the one to dominate Wilder, although maybe not, you know, maybe he would have been tight and tentative due to Wilder's power. It's hard to say. He certainly wasn't tight and tentative against Valine, but maybe that's because they had a sparring history. So I don't know. AJ fought with more confidence than he's shown since, I don't possibly since Vladimir Klitschko knocked him down um, that I haven't seen this much confidence in him. He he looked great against Feline. It's tremendous win. And I said beforehand that if he won, I wouldn't do revisionist history on the fact that I held Valine in high regard and, and gave him a chance here. And so, and so I won't this, this win proved things. However, I do kind (laughs) of need to see it one more time against one different style before I declare AJ all the way back. But, um, Man, what a great thing it would be for heavyweight boxing if he is indeed all the way back. Um, oh, yeah. The, the Fury AJ dream remains alive. And uh, and all along, you know, for the past five years or so running, that has been the biggest possible fight to make in the sport if they could make it at the right time. And I assumed the window for it to truly be the right time had closed, but maybe not. Um, but you know, that's, that's looking kind of far ahead, much, much farther ahead than we should ever look in boxing as the overmarination of Joshua Wilder reminded us, um, you know, uh, on our, uh, on our final showtime pod, which we recorded, uh, December 19th, both of us named Espinosa versus Ramirez, the upset of the year. So, uh, last topic here related to these two main events, would you like to change your pick there, Kieran, to Parker Wilder? Or are you sticking with Espinosa Ramirez as the upset of the year? Oh, yeah. God, no, I'm not changing that at all. Because, uh, uh, as you said, look, had push come to shove, had our preview of that card been part of our picks contest, I would have hemmed and hawed and ultimately gone for Wilder. Hmm. But with all the caveats that I expressed in that in that um, final part, that Wilder is terrible technically and that if you can sort of push him backwards you can win um and i wasn't i was surprised at how dominant joseph parker was but i wasn't super duper shocked um at the win i thought it was a very very impressive performance but yeah nothing along the lines of espinoza ramirez as far as i'm concerned I, i don't know how you feel yeah no i actually was very tempted to make the change um because of the extent to which I was shocked by what Parker did. Um, But it's one of those things where it makes enough sense in retrospect that I am not quite going to call it a bigger upset than total unknown Espinosa dramatically derailing the Roby C. Ramirez Express. But I think for me, it's my number two upset of the year, actually. I'd I'd put this Hmm. ahead of Zhang Joyce or Mendoza Fandora. But but no, like you, I'm I'm not quite changing my pick there, although I uh, came much closer to it than you did, it sounds like. 
As for the undercard for Day of Reckoning, I don't think there's any need for us to go fight by fight through the whole thing. I, I think we can lump it all together into one convo. So uh, let's see. We had one round blowout wins for cruiserweight champ Jai Opataya and heavyweight Philip Hergovich. We had a distance win for Dimitri Bivol, Frank Sanchez, KO Jr. Fad, Daniel Dubois stopped Terrell Miller with eight seconds left on the clock, and Agit Kabayel upset Arslanbek Makhmadov in four rounds. Um, pick and choose, Kieran. Who, who or what is standing out to you a week and a half later? Um, with all you know, full credit to, to Kabayel, who you know, in many respects had the sort of win of the night. Um, after Parker Wilder, I, I I was really probably most impressed by Daniel Dubois. Look, um, Jerome Miller blew his chance here. He was given an opportunity he didn't deserve, mm. and he responded by showing up, even by his standards, overfed and undertrained. But the sheer bulk of him looked like it was starting to cause Dubois real problems in about rounds four and five. And going in, there were questions about his resilience, particularly after the Usyk loss and and his desire and chin. But he turned it around and he ended up dominating Miller and he went for the finish. Even when he clearly was was winning the fight, he went for the finish. It's, boy, it's boxing is all about sliding doors moments, isn't it? It really is. Uh, a career can be derailed or can take off just with the slightest of, of things going your way or not going your way. I think if Daniel Dubois had had, had kind of caved uh, to Jarrell Miller in that middle portion of that fight, you know, it would be over for him. But the fact yeah. that he dug deep and found that, you know, extra gear again, I think the important thing is he proved to himself that he can do it. And I wonder if he was doubting that a little bit after the Joe Joyce and Alexander Usyk experiences. And now if he's got that little bit more of, of, of self-belief, um, the realization he can when he can struggle and still turn fights around that could be this could be a really significant win for him look miller was just an enormous punching bag by the end no question about that but still i i thought that the way dubois turned it around was impressive uh he, he really made an impression on me on that night yeah and it's good to have him back in the mix and he's still so young yeah. um so for me uh, what stands out is I, I gotta say thank god for the caballel result uh that was my only betting win here and and a nice one at, at plus 650 um i didn't really expect him to win i just felt that was a ridiculously wide price for what i thought would be a competitive fight all my other bets on this card lost including a parlay of a bunch of uh quote-unquote sure things i had bivol to win Easy. Opataya to win. Hergovich by KO. I even threw in Inouye by KO, which we'll discuss in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. But I included Wilder by KO, and that blew the whole thing mm -hmm. up. So, um, but so I have Did to listen say. Did you listen to me? <laughs> I know. I know. Well, uh, listen, you'll be able to place your own bets soon and, uh, and, uh, and put your put your money where your mouth is, as they say. But uh, but I, I just got to thank Agit Kabayel because uh, he won me a couple of pizzas. Pizzas that I could actually eat for a change. Uh, Boy, I tell you, it's just as well last year didn't go on a week longer because, like, you were just, your predictions were falling off the cliff by the end there. <laughs> really? So now you're going to claim that uh, had, had it gone, had it been scheduled for 15 rounds instead of 12, you would have won our picks competition. That's the stance you're taking. There it is. Okay. Wouldn't even uh, need to be all 15. 12 and a half. <laughs> well, listen, it was scheduled for what it was scheduled for. And I had more mm. points than you and accept your defeat. Um, mm. Before before we move on from this card, I do just want to say a big picture comment on it, that 
what a hell of a card this was that, you know, I'm just sure some of the fights were mismatches or were dull <coughs> Frank Sanchez. Um, but uh, all in all, top to bottom, one of the best dollar for dollar pay-per-view cards I can remember. And second only to paying 10 bucks a month to support Raskin and Mulvaney among the best bargains in boxing. A very distant second, but yes. Yes, very distant second. Sort of like you to me in our picks competition. <laughs> Not remotely like that at all, actually. But anyway, we haven't decided if we're doing a pick. I guess we're not, really, because it's interim. We could do a picks contest and carry it over into anything else. Or we haven't really figured that out. We haven't yeah, we do need to discuss that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of OK with uh, maybe maybe taking a couple months off from picks or, or, or maybe we transition we gonna... it into some sort of more betting focused type of yes, thing. Yes, especially, as you said, now that the betting is coming to the Green Mountain State. It is any day now, uh, or not quite any day, but any week now. You're very close. I believe so. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, let me see. Oh, I should probably say something. You could tell we've been out. We haven't done this for two weeks because <laughs> I've completely forgotten that we're supposed to take turns talking. That right. That's how podcasts that's work. The 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 little KM in the outline means it's your turn to say this. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the, the KM speaks here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So look, let's let's bring discussion of the card full circle. Um, the biggest news item we missed while we were off is that Bivol is tentatively signed to fight Artur Betabiev next for the light heavyweight championship of the world, provided. Better BF gets past Callum Smith on January 13th. Uh, like Deontay Wilder, Better BF is 38 years old and hasn't been especially active lately. That's when you mentioned overmarination a little bit uh, ago. How high are your overmarination concerns right now about this one, Eric? Not too high, except for that, that 38 years old thing. And uh, he did look more human than usual last time out against Anthony Yard. And that was a full year ago. Um, and he's had physical setbacks, like a, a bone infection in his jaw several months ago that caused this fight to be postponed from August to now. So I guess as, as I list all these things, maybe I am kind of concerned. Um, I, I, but I, I just don't quite think Callum Smith is on his level, if better BF is still better BF. I mean, Callum Smith got all he could handle from John Ryder. Now, maybe that's not fair to pick on his worst day in the ring, but... I just don't see it from Smith in this matchup, and I doubt Better BF suddenly falls off to the extent that Deontay Wilder did. But, you know, we, we may preview this matchup next week. I shouldn't go too much deeper into it here. Rather, just a, a, I'll give a quick word about the potential theoretical Bivol Better BF matchup. This is what it's all about. The, the clear top two in a division fighting each other. Lineal championship and various belts all coming together to give us a clear singular champion in this case, they're both undefeated. They're both pound for pounders. It's a fascinating clash of styles. You have the, the lengthy, supremely skilled boxer versus the more compact, relentless boxer puncher. A lot of similarities here to Crawford Spence. Maybe not stylistically, but all the other stuff. Um, these are the types of fights boxing must make. And, and you know, let's give credit when and where it's due. Boxing has been making them lately. That's why the sport had such a great 2023, you know, Stupid bean counters canceling their boxing programs aside, of course, it was a great 2023. Um, and, and we seem headed toward more of the same in uh, in 2024. Um, but let, let's get back to the waning stages of 2023 for just a second. We we talked about whether our upset of the year picks changed based on late December results. Neither of ours did. Mine came close. Yours did not come so close. We have to have a similar discussion about fighter of the year. 
The one other notable ring result during our break came December 26th at Ariaki Arena, where Noya Inoue stopped Marlon Tapalas in 10 rounds to unify all the belts at 122 pounds. We both named Terrence Crawford our tentative fighter of the year, an interim selection, you could say, uh, on episode 300 of the Showtime pod. Kieran, is it still bud for you or is it in a way? And, and any further thoughts you may have on the in a way to Paulus fight? I'm sticking with bud for the reasons we outlined in our final pod. The magnitude of the event, the fact that it was considered generally a 50-50-ish fight, uh, Crawford Spence I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and the fact that Errol Spence was ranked top five pound for pound maybe even higher by almost everyone i feel that that still just about edges out in a ways two hugely impressive wins uh, and make no mistake this like the stephen fulton one was an impressive win and it was also a win in which even as he was essentially dominated tapal is still on tremendous credit because anybody who hangs tough for 10 rounds against Noya in a way deserves tremendous credit um but it feels to me that in a way, and Crawford are just so far ahead of everyone right now, with the possible exception of Usyk in that, in that kind of pound-for-pound pound discussion. I know the likes of Haney and Shakur and Teofimo all fancy their claim to pound-for-poundness, but they've got a long way to go to match both the ability and the achievements of Crawford in, in a way. Whoever's fighter of the year, and I am sticking with Bud, they are still 1A and 1B at the top of the pound-for-pound pound list for me. Uh, I certainly agree with uh, with with that point. Those are still the top two uh, pound for pound. Um, I'm actually flipping my pick here for fighter of the year. Okay. Though. Um, now, again, it's just a two man debate in my mind. The people trying to yep. make a case for Devin Haney as un- anything other than a solid runner up are impossible to take seriously. It's either Bud Crawford or Noy in a way as the acceptable choices. But for me now, it is in a way um, as victories in single fights go. Crawford's win over Spence was a 100 out of 100. It was one for the ages. But in a way, over Fulton wasn't that far behind. I would call that win like a a 98 out of 100. Um, So then you add a very good win over a very solid title holder in Topolis. You get the knockout. You win almost every round. You fully unify a division in a single calendar year, just 12 months after you fully unified another division. In a way, did something historic in 2023. Now, so did Bud Crawford, of course. And if anyone says Bud is the fighter of the year, including you, uh, you know, that is fine by me. Totally get it. No argument against it. But I will take Inouye's 2023 resume by a hair because he squeezed a second fight in and it wasn't a meaningless second fight. It meant something. And he dominated it. So um, forget what I said on episode 300 of the Showtime pod. For me, the fighter (laughs) of the year is Noah Inouye. Yeah, and similarly, anyone who says, like yourself, that in a way is the fighter of the year, I can't be mad at them for that, too. Uh, two really, really good years by two absolutely outstanding fighters. The only negative about this is that we are at the position now, even as boxing is doing, I think, very well and has been doing very well, fights are getting made. We're praising a guy for fighting twice in a year. And, <laughs> You're right. That's a problem. Yeah. And that is getting to be a problem. And, and I don't know. Maybe it's a, 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 like a deeper discussion to have another time, but it feels like it's getting worse and getting worse rapidly, um, in, fighter activity. It's right. like we've been wanting the best to fight the best. We're getting that. And then they're like, great, now I'll take two years off. Right. Um, which I totally get. If you're earning a lot of money, you don't want to get hit in the head more. But it's hard to sort of maintain public support for fighters and interest in fighters if they only see them once every 18 months or so. So... 
Yeah, that's an issue that has to be resolved, I think. Yeah, in his prime, Henry Armstrong would have fought twice in the time it took you to explain what you yes. just explained. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, moving on from the late December results, um, there's nothing much worth previewing on this pod. Uh, Virgil Ortiz returns to action Saturday on the zone against Frederick Lawson. We're wishing for good health for Virgil and that he makes it into the ring. Mm. We'll surely have some comments on that after the fight, assuming that it happens. Um But there are a couple of other news items worthy of mention. First, a sad one. Manager Cameron Duncan died Tuesday morning at age 67 after a long illness. He was primarily, but not exclusively, associated with top-ranked boxers. He managed the likes of Johnny Tapia, Diego Corrales, uh, Tim Bradley, Bud Crawford, Nonito Donaire, and countless others. Um, So uh, condolences to his family and friends. Um, And the other bit of news, referee Kenny Bayless announced his retirement at age 73. He's about the youngest looking 73 year old I've ever seen. Um, But his age was perhaps showing in the ring in recent years. So I'm pleased to hear he's retired from the hardest job in sports officiating. Kieran, your reaction to Kenny Bayless calling it a career? Uh, Yeah, look, Kenny and his twin brother Kermit uh, are two lovely people and they've been truly outstanding officials and I, and I think that Kenny was for a pretty decent period of time the best referee in the business um although I do agree with you that over the last several years he had dropped off and he'd shown I think the key element was that he was showing hesitancy at key points sometimes and sort of second guessing himself a little bit there and and as a consequence you might have noticed that he wasn't necessarily getting the plum assignments the way that he had been for right. a, a long stretch. He was the automatic choice in Las Vegas for a long time, and, and he hasn't been for a little while. But, you know, certainly nothing egregious. I think most of us would struggle to come up with really uh, a lot of bad Kenny Bayless moments. The good ones certainly outweigh the bad. And, uh, yeah, a good time to, to be retiring. And, and rest in peace to Cameron Duncan. I didn't know him well. Uh, he was very shy. He was painfully shy, actually. So I don't know how many people actually knew him well. Uh, I don't. He never enjoyed. He always avoided doing any of the public speaking or anything at, uh, at, at any press conferences, anything like that. He absolutely hated that. But you know, by and large, if you're a manager in this business, it's pretty hard to not go through. 30 years or whatever of being a manager without having at least some people hating you and you know some fighters definitely took issue with his management but an awful lot didn't and he was very good at really finding the good fighters and bringing them to top rank and saying this guy is going to be a champion uh, and and helping them develop into champions and, and he did right by a lot of fighters so um but he had been as you mentioned in poor health for right. some time and um yeah rest in peace to cameron yeah, amen to that. And he, yeah, he really had a tremendous eye for talent. That's that's for sure. Um, as for Kenny Bayless, yeah, like you, there was a time when I, I really thought he was the best referee in the sport. That was a fairly long time ago. I'm thinking of like when he was in his, his 40s and 50s was when that may have been the case. Um, he developed various annoying tendencies in terms of breaking up clinches and, and warning fighters for infractions that didn't necessarily need a warning. He, he had his flaws, but I will say that, that right up to the end, I don't ever remember thinking that Bayless was a ref who was going to get someone hurt in there. Um, so, so, so mm-hmm. that's good. He, yeah. he remained competent on that front to the end, just 
got increasingly officious and annoying. Um, I'll be curious to see if he lands in the Hall of Fame. I would think he probably will. I would um, think so. I would think so. He hasn't been on the ballot yet. Maybe that changes now that he's retired. But again, I'm, I'm glad that he is retired, that the time had come. Uh, congrats to him on a fine officiating career. Um, he's also a very nice guy. I interviewed him for my Leonard Hagler oral history because he was the inspector in Hagler's corner for that fight. Um, I chatted with him once at the fights in Vegas for a few minutes. Nice man. Fine career. I'm not sad that it's over. And I, I feel like a bit of an asshole saying that, but um, I hope uh, I hope it can be taken in the uh, non-asshole spirit in which I intend it. I, I mean it in the nicest way possible, but... Well, it's like we don't work, what, like our favorite fighters to fight on too long. It, it doesn't mean that right. we think when we think it's ready for them to stop, it doesn't mean that we don't think they've been great. Right. It's just... You know, there's a time, and, and I mean, people and... people have been calling for us to retire from podcasting for a while, yeah. now. and and I Not can't say they're us. wrong. The sad part about it was for the last five years, it was Steven Espinosa. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. It's Kieran being funny. Hilarious. Yeah. Yes, I think yeah, we'll have to do that as part of this part of this interim podcast. Is you'll actually have to express and verbalize when I'm trying to be funny, just so that everybody <laughs> understands, right? I think sometimes it's not everybody realized it at times. Right. So. It'll be like pause, winky, winky, smiley face emoji. <laughs> JK. Yeah. JK. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, let's wrap things up for this episode of the pod with the fight game. Uh, we paid Showtime big money to retain the intellectually property rights here. So uh, the fight game continues at our new home. And uh, I'm giving you the clues, Kieran, coming off a triumphant finish on the Showtime pod in which I nailed Chavez Haugen in one with a teeny bit of extra help from you. Are you ready to play the fight game? As much as ever. Okay. Clue one. This is without a doubt the shortest fight we've done yet in the fight game. In fact, my preamble and the reading of this clue were easily longer than this fight. Was it um, that showbox fight that ended with like two punches? Are you referring to the the famous double knockdown fight i'm the... referring to the famous double knockdown. okay so, which was it was cornelius bundridge and who was he against that is not the answer other obviously otherwise i would have uh, quickly okay. who who was who did bundridge fight there he got i, knocked... I can't believe i can't remember it it's it's an incredibly Clear. <laughs> like we just were talking about it on the showtime pod when reflecting <laughs> yeah, we, on we, show, we, showbox we, yeah. memories uh, it was a it was part of a top five list right um but there you go remember people <laughs> remember it's a pal pal and cornelius budridge there you go thanks i'm glad you glad you pulled that out um but uh, it is not a correct guess but uh as far as identifying a an extremely quick fight that is a that was a fine guess to throw out there it is not the answer even though we didn't actually quite manage to guess it because we couldn't remember the names of the fighters but you, you that, got there eventually Yes. All right. right. I looked it up. Right. Oh. You oh, you did. Oh, see? Yeah. You blew it. I was I was I almost respected you for a second there. Oh, we don't want to start doing anything like that. Let's no. uh let's no. All right, clue two. Clue two. The records of the two fighters for this bout that ended in a KO one, just in case that wasn't already obvious. Twenty-two and zero with eighteen KOs versus twenty-five and two with seventeen KOs. And afterward, their records were 23 and 0 and 25 and 3. 
So it was the undefeated fighter who remained undefeated. Was it Lloyd Hunnigan and who did he? Um, was it Maurice Blocker? You knocked out in a round. Was that it? Hmm. Maybe that happened. I have no knowledge of it. It is obviously <laughs> not the answer here. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't even. I don't. I don't remember even. I mean, that was before I started really closely following boxing, and so I could not tell you if Lloyd Hunnigan and Maurice Blocker ever fought, or if Lloyd Hunnigan knocked anyone out uh, in in a matter of seconds. But uh, so I can't even tell assess whether that is a good or terrible guess. All I know is it is not the answer. But I have got, I, I did get two KO1s, so uh, we're close. Right. <laughs> sort of. I think, I, I think these, uh, these first two clues were intentionally very vague. It, it, not that it, it wasn't guessable, but I wasn't giving you a whole lot. Third clue gives you a little more here. I think uh, I probably know what it is, because I'm thinking of KO1s, and I, I think I'm going to get it now. But oh, Like you have another okay. guess uh, in your holster? I do. Because there's okay. one other very obvious KO one in my mind. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, let's see if this clue uh, fits with what you're thinking of. Other okay. televised bouts on this card included a win for a still undefeated Andrew Galata and the first loss for Shannon Briggs. So that hasn't helped me at all. I'm going to okay. tell you that. So I'm just going to randomly come out with the other KO one I was thinking of. <laughs> you can tell me what it is, but 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 I do want you to uh, pause for a moment and 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 reflect that this tells you a little about the time frame, or a lot about the time frame. We'll say it fits. It fits with the with with the time frame that I'm thinking of. Okay. All right. Then go ahead and and make your guess. Then I'm going to say it's Kendall Holt and Ricardo Torres. Oh no no you're that's 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 pretty far off on the time frame. It's exactly right, isn't it? <laughs> no, you're way you're way you're way off base now. Kendall Holt and Ricardo Torres was like, what was that like two thousand eight ish? Oh, really? Well, maybe I should have been paying better attention. <laughs> God, you're so washed right. here. Then, then, then okay, then that third clue definitely hasn't helped, and now I'm definitely. That was my that was my library of KO ones. OK, all, all right. Well, out. no, you you definitely are well aware of this fight. It is not some okay. you, you're not thinking of it right now. But again, I'm going to repeat the third clue before I get into the fourth okay. clue. Just to think of the context okay. here. Other televised bouts on this card included a win for a still undefeated Andrew Galata. So, you know, like, oh, God, yes. Right. Fair enough. Yes. I was right. And, fair enough. and OK, so that and the it featured the first loss for Shannon Briggs. So you so so now, so you should know the time frame, and you should it should be telling you a little something about the type of card this was. And now and now I'll go to clue four. Clue four. Unless you want to, I'll give you a second guess oh, if you're starting. Now to think I of, know. You, you the do. whole context tells. Oh, God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Would you it like to? David, go ahead. David Tua, John Ruiz. Yes, that is correct. So I'm uh, I'm giving you sorry, a. Sorry, I should have paid attention to the third clue because that would have told me. Yes, sorry. Right. See, I told you the third clue had context. You were just too busy yeah. thinking about your guess that you had already conjured I up. I just really, I really wanted to get that guess out because I was <laughs> super convinced. <laughs> you, you are, you are your own worst enemy, Karen. You tripped over your own feet on that one a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm going to give I you did. credit with a three point five. Uh, okay. That you got it on the second guess of the third clue. Uh, the uh, the remaining clues were going to be 
Jim Lampley's call of the knockout in Atlantic City went as follows. Down goes, name redacted. He takes a vicious left-hand <laughs> shot on the way down, and it's unlikely he'll be getting up, and Tony Perez says enough, to which Larry Merchant said, whoa. Uh, so, again, <laughs> let, letting you know it was an HBO fight in Atlantic City with a lift, left-hand shot ending it. I figured that would probably get you there if you weren't there already. Uh, but just in case we have clue five, the winner was far too a much for the loser on this night. But in a classic case of who to thunk it, that winner never held a major heavyweight belt while his quiet opponent with a loud trainer manager went on to enjoy multiple alphabet title reigns. Uh, there you go. Yes. Yeah, I should have actually, I really should have paid attention to the third clue instead of just being <laughs> desperate to get Kendall Holt, Ricardo Torres out of, out um because yes because then it would have been painfully obvious because that it was all part of that night of the young heavyweights card yes right? exactly and H- uh, it was an hbo boxing after dark night of the young heavyweights yep and who beat shannon briggs was it like Danelle nicholson or somebody you are close some... it is uh D- uh daryl wilson da- doing daryl damage daryl doing damage wilson and who did Galata? Now I don't have it in front. Might have, actually, Galata might have beaten Donnell Nicholson on that card. Maybe that's why you're oh. thinking of him. He, that uh, might have uh, been Galata's opponent on this one. But for anyone who's unfamiliar, the answer was David Tua, KO1, John Ruiz, March 15th, 1996. The fight lasted 19 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Lordy, yeah. <clears throat> and that's good. And those are all four of the KO1s that I can think of. <laughs> I, can, I can think of others. Perhaps you've heard of uh, Mike Tyson and Michael Spinks. That was a KO. Oh right, one. yeah, him. He was he was pretty good, wasn't he? Right. Um, yeah. Was Jaden Codrington and Yes, Alan Green. Alan Green. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That, that was, was when one. when you when I wasn't when you didn't name any of the showbox fighters you were guessing and you just said, <laughs> Is it that showbox fight? I was wondering if maybe you meant uh, Green and Codrington. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Boy, we're two weeks removed from showtime and forgotten all about who participated in these classic fights we spent five years <laughs> eulogizing. Yeah, Good Lord, Kieran. Well, what, just... what, one thing that is true about both of us at our current age is if the information isn't written down right in front of us, there is a high chance we will not come up with it. Yes, yes. And and um, I'm distracted by kittens or something. <laughs> sure. Use that as an excuse. And I'm jet lagged. And you're jet lagged. Exactly. Right. You can use that for a little while. Yeah. For, for, will last for six months. Can I get that much out of well, it? Well, good. I mean, I'll be going to the UK in a few weeks, so then it'll be my turn. So we can just okay. keep passing the baton back and forth. Okay. So and the, and, and I'll start blaming your kittens for even though <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah. even though I'll be nowhere near them. You know what I think, Eric? Ten dollars is not enough for this. It's not. <laughs> it's really this well, is gold. It is, but as lo- as long as you brought that up, uh, a special shout out to, and I don't have their names in front of me, so again, if, if your name isn't in front of me, I'm not going to know it to say it, but a couple of people who have done the big over-the-top uh, beyond the 995 sign-up, who have done sort of the founding member sign-up, we've gotten a few of those for uh, substantial amounts of money, and we, uh, we greatly appreciate uh, you uh, supporting us in that way. But also the 995ers, we appreciate you, and even the freeloaders, uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for nothing. Yeah, and we hope that you're not already experiencing buyer's remorse. But if you are, <laughs> you should have known. Yeah, listen to us long enough. Right. So there you go. You know what you're going to get. Um, and that will do it for the first episode of the ICBP. 
Uh, this one is free to everyone. They won't all be. Um, we do have something fun in the works for our next episode, and that should be dropping either over the weekend or first thing next week. But before we go, there's one thing we need. We need a new sign-off for this new podcast, and um, we're open to suggestions. Anybody wants to nominate a, a good turn of phrase to be the sign-off for the interim boxing podcast, then please send it our way. Uh, until then, in the interim, thank you for listening.